Hi Jeremy. Hi Raphael. Hello. Hello. How are you? Pretty good, yourself? Pretty good, what's going on? Mm, Kristen's away. I'm working, like, I'm, like when you asked me if I was partying or whatever. Yeah, I was but like, oh, the old lady's gone. When Kristen's gone. away, the, yeah. yeah, the cat shall play or whatever. But in my case, uh, it's shall work uh, all day. Yeah, but, the, <laughs> but that's the, basically, that's the you, you prefer working to partying, so that's your style of partying. Yeah, so I got yeah. so much done yesterday. I designed a website, <laughs> Saturday a night spreadsheets. <laughs> Um, yeah, how about yourself? I, I'm curious uh, if you ask people between uh, 30 and 40, you know, like, what would you rather do? Like, make uh, clean up your spreadsheets or go to a rave and mm. on a Saturday night? What about a, a spreadsheet based? Uh, what about a, a rave right? where you do spreadsheets? Like, uh, yeah, like, a, spre- a, like a, a, spread- a spreadsheet line party. Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still think like, uh, uh, the idea of a party to most people is work. Pivot tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sorry. That's an yeah. Excel joke. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk about uh, direct-to-consumer brands and mattresses. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So I should have segued by saying, like, how are you sleeping? Oh, yeah. I'm sleeping <laughs> much better because I got rid of the Casper. <laughs> what were you sleeping on before? Hay or some sort of a Japanese mat? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I didn't know how far in detail we should go. Uh, basically, if to summarize, sleep. like most people, when you are in high school and then you go to college and all that stuff, you don't care what mattress you have. You just have something. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I have a mattress. Yeah. End of story. Maybe you got it from your parents, maybe from Ikea. And... Um, I always like a firmer mattress, but what's interesting to me is that our generation thinks we can pierce through marketing. Like, we know their tricks, and uh, you can't tell us. Like, we'll, we'll find out for <laughs> ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when it gets interesting is there are certain products where you're not a connoisseur. Mm-hmm. So whether that's uh, audiophile equipment or cameras, or and then the story all of a sudden starts to matter. So my thesis is that with mattresses and couches, um, it is basically impossible to make a choice in a store because you're, ti- mm-hmm. you're tired and everything feels good. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it, like if you go through IKEA or you're, you're doing a day of shopping and then you get to a store that has couches, any couch will feel amazing. Right, right. You're like, wow, this couch. Like, and, and maybe they have free cookies in the store. And uh, what, where, are you, where are you shopping? Where are these free cookies? I mean, I will say, like, I've never bought a mattress in a store in my life, period. Okay. Well, I've, I've, bought, but, I've bought a few at Ikea, I think. And then I, I, for a long time, I had futons, like a really hard Japanese mattress. But mm-hmm. uh, Christina's not down with that. But the first mattress I ordered was online from Sears. Uh, oh, it was like, okay. It was like $279 in the year. And I think I bought it in like 2002 or 2003. Um, and then that lasted me like more than 10 years. It was actually a terrible mattress, very uncomfortable, but um, just comfortable enough to get me through those years. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I bought um, in Canada, there's like, you know, there's like a Casper equivalent. We have Casper too. But there's a Canadian-made company called Endy. And we went to go buy a bed um, as an anniversary then, gift. Was that the first time it was a joint decision? 
Yeah, and we were upgrading the size of our bed so yeah, to be yeah, larger. Yeah. I don't know if this is boring to our listeners, but well, like, let's let's. That, that I want to I want to preface mattress. this episode. It's about sleep. It's a boring topic, and we're going to go in full detail. So if you, no, if you don't that's care, not what this episode's about. if you don't care about mattresses, no. But to me, the, these uh, sensory details are important with the purchase. Yeah, the pain and the what they call it at this stage is like what we're we're doing here is like a switch interview. But the the narrative that precipitates the decision to purchase exactly. is actually incre- is is very important. Well, let, let me tell you, like we we I moved to New York and my friends were moving out and they had this mattress they had only had for a year, so they're like, oh, you can have it. So mm-hmm. I had it and it was a a regular medium mattress with springs in it, uh, and it was fine. But after five or six years, it was just kind of. It, it got lower in the middle, so we would roll towards each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, okay, I think it's time for a new mattress. There, yeah, was nothing, it, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just getting old. And so then you're like, oh, God, I have to buy a mattress. And, like, going to mattress stores, they all feel great. Um, Did but, you go to a mattress store? No, I didn't. Just the, and, and this is probably why they cater to millennials, and this is why we don't like going to parties. Is the idea of talking to a salesperson who has all these tricks... Yeah. You're like, I don't want to listen to your Jedi mind tricks and be upsold. So oh, that's very interesting. I'm going to do the research online. And so you st- you're like, oh, supposedly these millennial mattress brands have it figured out. They made the perfect mattress and you can return it for free. So what's the risk? <laughs> but what I love about what you just said is uh, about the salesperson in the physical location is I don't like your Jedi mind tricks, meaning I don't, you know, it's interesting to me because the advertising that a Casper or whom Andy or whomever would do is this st- is this style of advertising where they use all kinds of mind tricks yeah. like it's, yeah, yeah. it's and it's very well documented um, the way they write copy and the way they market is this kind of direct uh, direct marketing style it's is very all friendly about- and human and uh, childish illustrations and but that's like that actually would be the brand part of it oh, the direct okay. part of it the thing that actually gets you to mo- that motivates your behavior is the way they write it's like a very uh specific writing style okay can you explain which is yeah specifically like the copy for indirect marketing is usually very is is actually quite direct and it's actually not usually that playful there might be a little playful edge to it but it's essentially saying go do this now or Actually, it really tries to do three things. You know, it says, you know, are you, like, this is the classic scenario. Are you a X who has um, Y problem, then you need uh, a Z, you yeah. know, mattress or whatever. But, but there's uh, also... To get Z, you know, uh, with 50% off, uh, 10% off, click here. Um, and if you order in the next 30 days, receive a second, you know, Z <laughs> for just 50, for just half that price or something. But the, there is a clear value proposition, and that is that they offer simplicity. That, well, they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's actually no, one that, of the that, biggest... That's the, no, it's a 90-day money-back guarantee. Mm. And, and specifically for mattresses, that turns out to be a very important value proposition because when the mattress first got to our place... We got there mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so much better. We love Casper. So we're still uh, indoctrinated with the whole pleasant branding. And we're like, well, if the drawings are so nice, then the mattress must be nice too. Uh-huh. And after two months, we're like, I keep waking up kind of sore. And like, because it's memory foam, you get stuck in a position and you don't, uh, you're asleep and you don't just uh, snap out of that position. And I think in a regular mattress, 
It's not like a monster that sucks you up in one position. So, anyway, so you're like, like we an returned egg it. In an so, egg carton. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, we didn't lose anything. They picked it up. It was fine. Um, the only thing you lose is that actually when they when they return things, they, they throw it away. They throw it away. So you're not. That's not a positive contribution. But. But now the regular stores also have to offer the money back return. But my whole thing with the millennial branding is that you can say they use existing tricks, but the new thing is, uh, even though you thought that capitalism was going in the direction of customization and choices, that turns mm -hmm. out to be exhausting, and it's better to offer someone one optimized choice so that makes people much happier. Right, so... Like, we, even, we, even we, if you think about the Dell, for example, they used to offer, like... It was so complicated to know which laptop you needed. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want the fast and powerful or the big and but and, and they all sound amazing. And Apple was like, okay, we have two options for you: the, the consumer and pro. I, yeah, I mean, I can explain uh, the marketing reason behind that is actually quite interesting, um, and it's something we think about at work, which is like if you only have if you're if you're spending marketing dollars, as soon as you like um, start to have more than one SKU or more than one product. You need to now segment your advertising, which is not actually that hard to do. But now you've got like two different streams of complexity, right? And so, if you want it, if you're just if you have one product, you can set, you can have one ad, and a person can respond to that one ad, and you can optimize it very quickly, like you know, to get the best highest conversion rate. But if you were to have multiple products, um, it's a it's a it's a you know yeah. dozen more variables, but, and also you don't know if your targeting is right or if the message think, is wrong. And I think if you go, it's to test. If you go from uh, uh, maybe a hundred years ago that there was a lot of local shops and they were competing, and, mm -hmm. but you knew them all. You knew oh that's Hank the mattress guy and that's uh, uh, whatever. You you knew them all, and they're all in the, in the neighborhood and you know their family, and and then it goes to a bigger scale and. You learn to trust brands instead of families that you knew. Oh, that's the the blacksmith, and that's the baker, and that's the and and then you right. you you you're trying to gain trust. Yeah, yeah. Isn't I mean, that the way what they marketing get around, is? Sure. If we're going to broaden this to like general marketing, trust is a huge component. So when you were talking about that Casper offer, the way they build trust on and on the internet, this is the history of the internet is, I don't trust you, right? <laughs> like think back to the '90s. And it's like so using your credit card online, by the way, like for, you know, think about what your parents were saying at the time, what the news was saying, like, can we trust the internet? I lost my identity. I was scammed. Well, yeah. Oh my God. And it's my credit card numbers are floating point. everywhere. It's a right? valid point. So, like identity no, theft yeah. is a real thing. Yeah. So all these companies had to um, really invest in figuring out what would bring trust And to you know what brought the trust? What? Banjo music or ukulele. <laughs> That's one example. Yeah, canned uh, banjo music is like doom, yeah, doom, 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 yeah. Doom. yeah. But are also, you tired of mattress stores? We've got <laughs> figured out for you. I'll tell you two other things that helped. Um, so one on on the trust factor. One thing that all brands do on the internet um, is. Uh, they offer some sort of a, well, not all, but often offer a money back guarantee. So this gets you around the anxiety of what if it shows up and I don't like it, right? Because I can't see it in person. I, if I went to the store, I could see it in I person. Even I even went to the it. Casper store in person because there's one nearby. And uh, right. it's again that thing. And that's like it, one of the, that's but, a very rare thing. Yeah, but it but it's it's again that thing. Any mattress feels good when you're walking around and you, you lay yeah. down for three minutes. 
Right, right, exactly. But anyway, that's the you know the they had to overcome that that fear of like not knowing what you're going to get. So yeah. money back guarantee. The second thing they did is like, how do I know that there are real humans behind this company? As you said earlier, how do I know that there's a blacksmith in the background? Yeah, and it's well, not a dog. So what what a lot of companies did was add support as part of the value proposition. So and they would put their phone number. It's really important. You can really like if as an, if you're an artist and you want to increase your conversion numbers, put your phone number in the top right hand corner of your website. Um, that offer that creates this like strong assurance that if you if you bought the thing, mm, I don't and think you don't like consumer it, rules of marketing apply to. Artists, I know. I'm but, kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But if if you if you bought the thing and you're unhappy, now you know. There's someone you can chase after, and 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 you can talk but, to the but real. But it's funny, human. like people often think of marketing as trickery, but those are actual real value propositions. They the return policy and the support actually makes for a better product. That's not yeah, bullshit. The, but the mathematics up behind that, which is that almost no one ever returns a product, yeah, and yeah, very yeah. few people actually call a phone number. They they are called assurances. Um, another one. No, that's but really if, fun. if you go back to companies that don't do good support, where you can't find the mm-hmm. phone number, it's really infuriating. Yeah, yeah, but let me tell you, like, about the third. You know, there's a bunch more, but like one of the more the funnier ones that I've seen make a huge difference to people's anxiety and whether they're willing to purchase on the internet, and that is an icon, specifically an icon of a lock. So if you were to put an icon of a lock. You should scatter it any time you're asking you people for money. You mean the SSL certificate? <laughs> no, just an icon of a lock. Say, stay, t- telling people it's safe and secure. Oh, okay, okay. And it could just be whatever standard out of the box. You'll start to notice this because I mentioned it. And if you're not putting a lock, you're putting like, it's Versa signed, zip verified, or it's you know ISO nine thousand, whatever. It's like some kind of but that, uh, that ver- seems like a, that's yeah, secure. that's a beginning thing, but. It, once you're at a certain scale, I don't think you need the lock anymore. Like when Casper is, is I, I, broadcasted I, so much. Yeah, I would go back and look at that Casper purchase flow, and you'll you'll probably see some uh, what are like sci- like symbols regarding security, if not um, you know other other yeah. indications that this is a secure transaction. Yeah, and and definitely. Uh, if your CSS is messy and like things are not aligned on the page and yeah. an image is badly compressed, you're like, I'm not going to buy this. That's right. Yeah. So that that but that's the last level of quality uh, necessary f- for uh, a purchase. On but the that's internet. the you same for appear. a mall. Like if you go to a mattress mm-hmm. store and it's raining and the 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 ceiling is leaking, you're like, I don't want to buy a mattress here. Yeah. So the term marketing for this is called merchandising, right? And it's what, which is like, if you owned a grocery store, right? It would be like the way you presented the tomatoes to make them look good, right? And so that's really important on the internet too. Yeah. Um, that your brand, uh, you know, which is part of your merchandising, evoke a feeling of trust through quality. Did you and do you know if uh, so? Now physical mattress stores offer the same return policy, the ninety days. Mm-hmm. Did they do that before they had competition from online mattresses? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, like I said, I've never bought a mattress in person. Yeah. Like Sears always, of course, did have like a return policy. It's it's very strange to me that Sears is out of business now. Um, but all of the things that they sold, people now buy from like these tiny focused competitors. I wonder if it's still a big company that just has all these tiny uh, faces, like all these brand- separate brands. No, like Casper oh. and... All the other cutesy brands, and if it's well, yeah, like the equivalent, another you know, Casper like equivalent would be like Dollar Shave Club, like there's some like yeah. or like toiletpaper.com or, or something like Everlane, that. Everlane, like the clothing company, and uh, yeah, 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 
Um, Glossier, Glossier would be the women's. And you have one for vitamins. You have one for towels, bed sheets, Mm -hmm. and uh, anything. I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the future is even uh, they scan your body and they make custom socks for you that fit you exactly. So what's interesting about it in general, though, is this: uh, is that the ideas that used to drive internet software, like so. That there was this new SaaS cloud software world. They were the first to market in this way, but now everything's being marketed. Yeah, this way. So, so the way it feels is like, you know, that new thing, like that Uber app, and it, it, they make it feel like a new app, even though it's physical goods. They make mm-hmm. it feel sort of techy. Yeah, and I think like, you know, you're seeing, I, I mentioned Glossier just a second ago, but I think it's worth just talking about them for a little bit. Like you're seeing, um, let's say like last decade, MAC Cosmetics was like the number one cosmetics brand, the fastest growing brand. And now you're seeing like, okay, th- this this year it's Glossier, but then you're seeing like Decium or other brands like come in very, very quickly using targeted advertising. And, and when I say targeted, targeted direct advertising. So they're like, we want to go after this consumer in this segment with this specific message, and we're going to spend this amount of money. They're so they're so specific about what they're trying to do that they can undermine those big competitors. And so they save a and, lot of money there. Yeah, and they also create this weird false sense of intimacy with their customers because they engage them in social media kind of forays, like Instagram advertising. Two years ago, would we have predicted that that's like the number one place people advertise and respond to advertising yeah would you have predicted that you can actually buy things within instagram within instagram yeah like instagram is so uh, such a fascinating application because it's so it's so simple they're like what if there was a platform based around the image like it's it's like saying like what if there was a world with roads and (laughs) stores or whatever right like like, it's like yeah not even Instagram is more like there's no stores. There's just roads, and you can stop and look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's endless shopping browsing though. When you think about no, it, it's, like it's, it's scrolling endless, through you, shop windows. You know when you drive around and there's like a little parking space to look at a panorama. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Instagram is. You just keep driving and then you see a panorama, and yeah. and every five panoramas is a, a commercial. I mean, I think of it as you know, uh, a, like a shopping street turned on its side, you know, and yeah. I'm just driving, you know, when you're driving, you're a kid, you're looking out the window and you're looking into the shop stores. That's the way I think of Instagram. Yeah. Um, and, and they've, they perfected that, like, you know, that browsing experience, which is a big part of shopping, um, where you don't get that on Amazon. I don't think as much, um, you kind of do, but you get lost in it. It's cause it's so cluttered. But the, the other, so what, what fascinates me when, when you live in the Netherlands and also when you're younger, you really don't think mm-hmm. about shopping that much. And then you get right. older, you want a more comfortable bed and nicer sheets and all that stuff. Um, what's interesting is that you think you're immune to marketing. And I think that's part of what the, the whole direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. thing is. is like you're smarter. You, you're, you're not falling for the Walmart trap. You're smarter. You found us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So one of the most powerful words in direct marketing is you. And so, and, and the way you should write copy if you're trying to attract someone to make a purchase is to speak to them about themselves. Actually, don't talk about yourself almost at all. Talk about their needs, their problems, right? Like, are you sick of having a sore back because you worked all day in your startup job? <laughs> you need Casper mattress kind of thing. They, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm putting on this infomercial voice yeah, to like yeah, yeah. echo the fact that that's where this was, this kind of style of advertising was invented. 
Think about where that came from. That that style actually came from television advertising, but not brand television advertising, not like the next, you know, the Super Bowl ad. It came from the like midnight ad, like the ad in the cheapest time slot on television the where they were like someone is up yeah, or even and sometimes even just like like a minute long or thirty second regular commercial, and they're like, we have to get people to pick up their phone. Like, think about this. I'm watching TV. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to pick up my phone. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call. I'm going to assume I'm going to reach a human on the other end of the line. I'm going to hand my credit card over to a random stranger over the phone, and then assume that something's going to arrive on my doorstep. I don't know when. Right. Yeah. Um, and they got millions and millions of people to do that with this form in this form of advertising. It's just incredible. And that there's there's a story about I think Mac, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in one of his books about where that style of advertising comes from. And it's from actually New York, specifically Coney Island and the Boardwalk. And there was this there was a there was a guy, <laughs> or there were people. There was like there was kind of like a style of of selling that got handed down. Um, from generation to generation on this boardwalk, um, and, not, and marketers didn't know about this. Back, this is way back when, but the there was like an old tradition of selling stuff on the boardwalk, and this style of advertising was to first attract a crowd around you, and then to demonstrate the product in such a way that people couldn't resist not buying. They still it on do the that spot. here in Chinatown. Like they, they? they sell uh, knives and stuff for the, like those slices that you can make yeah. uh, julienne uh, vegetables. Yeah, so a huge part of that that also the internet has allowed, and that you that I want to just echo in this in the example that you shared, is that they show you how incredible the product is, how it works, like. And this showing you how it works, the show, don't tell. So don't tell me it's great. Show me how great it is. Demonstrate its value for me. The demo really originated in that space. And that's how demos ended up in tech culture as well. It's like, demonstrate the value for me. And then it ends up in, in technology advertising yeah. too. Show me how your product works. Don't just talk about it. Like, how does Casper do that? Well, they have pop-up stores. What do you mean? Are they online? Yeah, how do they show, how do they show you how comfortable it is? I think, I think uh, their marketing is more like, we've figured it out. Like, people give you too mm -hmm. many options and we've figured it out. And I want to talk but, about their competitors as well, because that's where it gets I just interesting. Take a, I, okay, we can do that, but I just want to... Men I, I asked a rhetorical question. The answer to that is they show you how they have made this mattress from the highest quality materials. They show you all the layers. Like they no, show you that's the not how layer, they advertise. The cooling, like. they, they advertise with like a, a bunny and um, all kinds <laughs> of cutesy... So th this is maybe where it's different from traditional advertising. There's right. a very specific graphic illustration style that they all use. So mm -hmm. and it's it, maybe it's my it's like in a flat style, yeah, like outlines and it's it's yeah, goofy. Outline, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, they they make uh, visual play gags on sleeping. So you see a bunny sleeping with a bag of carrots, and then you'll sleep as happy as a bunny with a bag of carrots. Yeah, and so they don't really talk about it's not that traditional mattress advertising where like it has fifteen pockets and it has all this. Uh, high-tech uh, gear stuff they're like i don't know i challenge you if you go to casper.com like if you go to the website yeah but the then purchase, you've already then you already i'm talking about the first uh, message before mm. you've know right, right. before you know about casper and right. so when it's just uh, billboards and uh, subway ads and things like that mm -hmm. and so that's really just goofy jokes about sleeping um like, so why do they tell jokes or why is humor is important uh you tell me 
Oh, well, because it like it it's a way of building trust. When we don't trust people that are yeah, yeah, yeah. Cre- it's but, a, it, but, but it's also a way of creating value. Which what is I'm like, maybe trying. Oh my god, they made me feel good, right? What I'm trying to say maybe is that um, there's another company for insurance. Uh, insurance in yeah. the, uh, health insurance in the U.S. is a big mess, and the the traditional advertising is more to look like a financial company and all of a sudden we're like we have to appeal to the youngsters so they make a company called Oscar which is the name of a person mm. so already yeah. you can trust it and then all the illustrations are the same Casper style thing yeah maybe I'm responding more to outdoor ads because it's New York and you walk around no no I think you're right I think yeah. I mean I definitely know this art direction style because yeah. I I was part of uh, that trend in terms of it's ukulele music and uh, illustrations it's like yeah yeah. But, and it was but, about being friendly. Yeah, but because the internet's cold. Yeah, and and uh, you don't know who this insurance company is, and you don't want them to be called uh, Berkshire Hathaway or a name like that. So they're like, oh, we're Oscar, <laughs> guy next door. Yeah, we're disrupting the status quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not, but that's okay. But it, what's interesting to me, and where marketing I think is really powerful, is what I need a mattress. That's a given. Like, but there's so many choices. And so when you go into the online uh, direct-to-consumer mattress space, they're all memory mm-hmm. foam because the springs you can't roll up. So they've all decided it's cheaper if you can wrap it up in a box. And so mm-hmm. there's slight differences, but there's maybe there's Tuft & Needle and Lisa. And I even went to a few shops nearby because there's all these pop-up stores. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. They're like, 10% fluffier or 10% less fluffy but they're, and they're all very different from this mattresses you see in a store because those are uh, maybe 50 centimeters thick yeah. and the other ones are thinner and you can roll them up and you can shrink wrap them they suck the air out of it and it, the guy delivers it and it's tiny and you, you open up the vacuum uh, ceiling and mm. then it becomes a real mattress so they're all selling the same product that's what I'm trying to say but there's re- really yeah. 10 serious brands and maybe 20 brands. Like There's really a lot of options of these 90, back, uh, 90 days money-back guarantee fluffy uh, memory foam. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's an easy model to copy. Um, I am curious like you know, whether what you ended up buying. Did you end up buying a traditional mattress like a box spring? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you did? Well, or like, well, after I we mean, returned the, the Casper, yeah. Well, Where did you go? How did you do that? Well, I just... After we returned the Casper, I, we just Googled mattress stores. And in our neighborhood, there's um, Hastings, which is like the, the mattress Kim.com sleeps on. And it, it ranges from 25000 to 100000 So <laughs> Kim.com. He, yeah. It's just a funny reference. Yeah. That so that's on. in a few years. We're not buying that yet. Was there an endorsement next to the mattress? The mattress <laughs> of Kim.com. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, Simon Denny did an exhibition sleep. and it had a big uh, Hastings mattress in it. But uh, That's how you know. No, I knew already from a Kim.com interview, he's really into deep sleep, so he has a silent chamber covered with... It's padded and soundproof <laughs> and completely dark. And, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a character. But yeah. the only reasonable option here, and I didn't want to drive or go to Queens or something, so there's mattress firm here all over so we just went to mattress firm and they offer the same money back guarantee so Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. we went in there and the the mattress guy was exactly the cliche of a 
too much talking, joking uh, salesperson, and he, he, he kept saying, oh, give me a dollar and I'll sing a song. And I'm like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> And like, okay, 50 cents. Just give me 50 cents and I'll sing a song for you. And we're like, oh, we're here to buy a match. Like, annoying dad jokes. Um, we tried a few mattresses and then we found a medium firm one and it's fine. And then uh, they delivered it. But he did upsell us on a slip cover around the mattress that would make the mattress last longer. And then we slept on it and it turned out it was kind of plasticky. So we, and we couldn't return that. I called him. He's like, no, that's a personal item. So that, f- <laughs> gotcha. that fear of like the sleazy salesman is 100% true. And there's one of the key things, and I think this is a generational shift, is th- talking to people is always, um, if, you, if a person invests an hour in you, then it's very disappointing to tell them, I don't want a mattress, see you next time. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that embarrassment is part of this uh, sales strategy. And that is why millennials don't like going to stores. Yeah, you avoid that discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. At, at all. I mean, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. And the same with yeah. buying clothing. Like, people hate that feeling of, like, a salesperson giving you all the different sizes and colors and do you like this texture? And then you end up like, ah, it doesn't fit very well. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And they gave yeah. you a bottle of water, they gave you a cookie and whatever, and... It, the, and then they even told you you look great in it. Yeah, yeah. You know you and where are you and from? Like, mm-hmm. And oh, my cousin's from there too. That's so cool. Yeah, I love movies, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then you've created this bond and you have a new friend and you're like, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was at uh, a bar last night and this guy was like, really, uh, I, my friend warned me. He goes to this, this kind of tapas place uh, regularly and he's like, okay, just watch out because like, just so you know, they know me and they're like, but the guy's kind of like salesy, you'll see like, and he like, it was like bringing out free things for us. But then at the end of the night, he sits down, he's like, where does your company buy its coffee? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, yeah. So like uh, my other side gig, uh, uh, like, yeah. I sell coffee to companies and I think uh, you should buy my coffee. I'm like, what? what? Why would I do that? And he's like, because I, you know, I, what, didn't, didn't we build a relationship over yeah, the ending? I was yeah, like, yeah. what are you talking about? What? I don't That's owe you anything. Choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, I like buying suits and stuff. And that's something that you definitely want to try in person. And then it's really hard when someone, it's so specialized and then people are like, oh, maybe this would be good for you. And then there's a few stores that I ke- so, kept coming back and I don't even want to go there anymore because it, it, they're so happy to see me and they know me so well that yeah. I feel really obligated. To, and, and then if you go a few times and not buy something, then they're kind of grumpy. Well, there's a point I want to make that you're getting to, though, which is really interesting, which is like, so what happens online is to avoid this problem because the think about it like that company when you're walking in the door they have a huge problem we don't know who's going to come in where they're coming from what they need we don't know anything about them how are we going to sell something to them right oh we'll put a human being on the floor which is a really fancy word for like computer that can figure out their needs and convince them to buy something within a window of opportunity because we know they're only going to spend yeah, 10 minutes and, before and- they're exhausted right and i think i think that salesperson used to be an asset and now is a liability because it, it took, no, I know, but yeah. like it's, but it's also the only way that they can compete against online. So it's quite ironic, right? Because on the internet, what can they do? They can say, "Oh, Google, what do you know about this person? Google, like, how should I talk? How how do I reach them? Yeah, oh, I don't know this. I, you know, people, what are their problems? I don't know if this targeted advertising because it shows such retarded ads. Like, I, people are so the Cambridge Analytica and all this stuff, but 
when you see what, what kind of ads they show, like when you watch Hulu, they'll show the same car commercial five times in a row. And they know in my zip code, nobody owns a car. So mm-hmm. I don't think these algorithms are so smart. Okay, let me tell you about one that was a little distressing that a friend shared with, with me the other day. Um, they happen to, um, I mean, have like a, an anxiety problem. And they take medication. Um, and they started seeing ads on an increasing basis uh, for what, uh, like, wh- like about whether or not they were going to commit suicide. So the ads were like, are you thinking of taking your life? Call this hotline now kind of thing. Um, and these ads are pretty shady. But he knew that, the, they, or they knew that this was happening because of having made a purchase, like a like visited a drug website or something like that. Like there was a profile about them mm, that they're mm, an anxious mm. individual. Yeah. Um, but isn't everybody and, these days? Yeah, but think about that for a sec for a second. It's like they're really preying on the the you know the the data that they yeah, have. Yeah, but on but what I what I'm trying to say is that um, the the algorithms are so stupid that they might be serving it to the wrong people all the time. So. Mm. Um, well, I know that because I sw- I changed my gender on all platforms, and yeah. therefore I get mostly Nick's underwear ads. Um, yeah, like so they're, they're not underwear. they're not really fine tuning. Like, oh, you're listening to a lot of Joy Division. We should send you some uh, uh, depression mm-hmm. uh, medicine. Yeah, yeah. So it, what I mean is, it, it it might be true in this case, it might not be, but I think a lot of times it's really dumb, like it's really wrong. Well, I just think it's it's hard not to talk about um, targeted how re- yeah retargeting um, and targeting. I, I, I think how- I think my perception is a bit weird because I use AdBlock, and I, like the the only few times I see ads is really like video mm-hmm. sites that force you to turn off AdBlock, uh-huh. and maybe video advertising is already for a much larger segment because it's expensive to produce. It's not yeah. so targeted. So I I just cannot believe, I'm just completely mind-blown when people don't use Adblock. It's, no. I don't know. My, my What blows my mind is that one of the most important inventri- inventions in the history of advertising uh, was a pixel, like a, little, a tiny little GIF image. Uh, they, they could be downloaded to your computer's cache. Yeah, use, um, use Ghostry. It, it gets rid of that stuff. Well, I mean, you can also go and delete your cookies, right? But no, like, you can't the, because they'll reinstall. But uh, um, <laughs> use Ghostry and you, you disable tracking. I don't, I, but I don't want to. I'm really fascinated by this. Like I, I know, but your friends report. who are getting targeted suicide ads, just tell them to. Oh, right. I should tell them that. Yeah. That I mean, that was on Facebook that they were getting the ads too, which is well. Like, if you like, feel depressed, then the first thing you should do is delete Facebook. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's advice, number one advice. Like, if you, yeah. if you feel like, hey, why am I so grumpy lately, and why do I see the bad side of everything? It's like just install right. all that crap. Uninstall all that crap. Yeah. If you don't have Anyways. Facebook, uh, they're probably not hijacking your microphone and listening to your dreams. And right, I just think it's uh, you know it's interesting to consider that what we were talking about earlier, salesperson, and, and then we had direct marketing on the on television, and then we had um, we have like internet advertising but that's direct, maybe- and then we have like. Like this, like advertising that stalks you. I mean, and what would be interesting is that if new stores take cues from the direct marketing and the, all the employees in the store are cartoon characters, and like holograms, and you don't feel uh, obliged, and you can just walk in, walk out, and you, there's no emotional ties. Well, I mean, if you've been into like a McDonald's lately, yeah, you have yeah, like yeah. a choice. Yeah. Would you like to use this like 
computer kiosk or talk to the person, right? But it, it, and I, do you, yeah. you're a person who wants to be liked or, or not? I don't know. Do you feel an obligation if a salesperson has spent an hour with you to buy something? Um, I find it really irritating because I usually need to explain in great detail why it's the incorrect choice for me. And so, like, so my empathy will drive me to say like, no, but let me tell you about why I'm saying no. Um, and I find that really irritating because I'm like, this is exhausting for me now yeah. because you're asking me to create value for you in terms of like describing why or why not I want to make this purchase. So I'm like doing your research for you. Um, but I also understand like I ask that of my own customers all the time, which is like, why did you choose not to purchase? And this is actually one of the most important questions in terms of like, if you're selling stuff online, uh, the research you should be doing is not like, okay, who you, you of course need to look at who's purchasing, but you, if you're not selling anything, you really need to understand understand why not. Um, and this, this is a whole craft that people spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars trying to incrementally improve their sales yeah, funnel yeah, yeah. online because fi- trying to figure out what's called the like objection, right? And so like, what are the objections that this person has to purchasing my product? It could just be that I, they don't have I time. I once saw some, some research of uh, Diet Coke and the, the, they were looking at trend forecasting and like, okay, uh, women's purses are smaller, so we're making a smaller bottle that fits that lifestyle. And another thing is like, people keep drinking more and more water. What can we do about that? It's like a serious... (laughs) Like, how can we get people off of water? Well, it's... Yeah, what can we do about that or how can we capitalize on that, right? But they're looking... It's called strategic foresight, right? They're looking at where's the world going to be in 10 years. It gets tricky when something is like, oh, they're doing things that are good for them. How can we get them on the bad stuff? No, it's interesting because I was at a store the other day and I was like, what is this beverage? And I looked at it, it was like, it looked like San Pellegrino, like lemonade drink, but it was like 7-Up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like they had rebranded 7-Up uh, in a way to look like an Italian you know, beverage because they were competing against this, yeah. they realized, yeah. like Italian brand. Um, but the, I think the point that I wanted to make just around um, these objections and so on and so forth is that like, I was, I was at a talk the other day, it was really interesting because... Startups go through different uh, stages, right? There's like finding product market fit is like the first uh, phase we've talked about on the podcast before, right? Where it's like, you don't know if your product has a market and there's anyone that wants it. Um, and, you know, and you don't know, um, you, you don't know if, if, if that market exists or if they have a problem, if your solution is the right one for them, right? But then after that comes a stage that I hadn't, I hadn't heard this term, but I really, I think I've seen it demonstrated in lots of companies, including my own, which is like, product channel fit and basically what you're looking for there are what are the most efficient means by which i can reach i haven't heard this in this way but reach my customer so what are the like marketing channels that would allow me to reach people so that they can make a purchase and so because you have to be able to really good at finding those channels like not everyone's going to buy off instagram some people are going to want to buy off an infomercial on tv some people are going to want to buy and like what is the right channel mix uh, for my product market and, and, um, and then there's the, the more uh, emotional philosophical issue of presenting an idealized life which basically is what Instagram is yeah. but uh, this goes so far as your friends uh, anyone who's suffering from anxiety or depression uh, feelings of inadequacy because you, oh, right. you present them with ideals that don't exist uh, yeah, with, with, pe- with people with better skin definition or muscle definition or happier and it can really get to issues where 
You're like, hey, my dad never played catch with me on a green lawn, so he must have not been a good dad because that's what um, advertising mm-hmm. presents you. It's like, what what is a good citizen? And yeah, this idea, yeah, I mean, but the, and this is true. This aspirational marketing that the that is part of the overall presentation of the solution. Yeah, right? but like the, so the idea of Santa Claus came better. from uh, uh, Coca Cola, and then that mm-hmm. becomes like, oh, you know what makes me feel happy? The the guy with the red hat and the white beard. Mm-hmm. Now you might be making a good point here about the art world. Whether like I know I know we said like marketing rules don't apply to the art world. But I do believe that around this particular element... No, I think consumer um, marketing, like direct-to-consumer. Oh, the direct marketing. Yeah, yeah. like the, f- but around the follow-up email and the, hey, yeah. I'm Ken, I'm your person, you can always call me. Yeah. No, the aspirational Except- for sure. Yeah. I think you should look more at luxury branding than at like advertising of eggs. Okay, so I have a really interesting point to make around luxury branding and like sales and all of that. And, and I think I can connect it back to the art world. So... I also uh, run this, I think I've mentioned to you, product management program with young product managers. And one of the companies in our cohort right now is called Tulip. And what Tulip, it's Tulip Retail. And what they do is they create software for the sales agent on the floor in luxury um, kind of good sectors, like segments. So like if you're buying a Fendi bag, while you're talking to the sales agent, they have an iPad in their hand and they're like, they're like telling you about the bag. They're looking at, they're show, they're walking you through different options and colors because they don't have room for all of the bags on their sparse, you know, sparse like uh, designer floor. Um, and then they're like, there's this huge problem I didn't realize existed. <clears throat> they're tr- they're they're making sure that someone can go get the bag out of storage and bring it to you within a very small amount of time after you make the decision to purchase. Have you ever been in an Apple store and you know how they don't have the actual things? Yeah. You can't pull anything yeah, off the shelf, yeah, yeah. right? They just have the demonstration of the product. Um, and then you have to like, someone has to go run and get it. This has actually become a huge problem in retail because retail has been redesigned, like you said, around the demonstration of like this little, the product, but not like as like a place where you just go get oatmeal off the shelf. Um, and so now there's a sales channel. There's almost like a funnel problem that's very similar to the internet where it's like, I have to make sure the per- once the purchase commitment is made that it's closed within 30 seconds. And anyway, so what's really interesting that is the light thing that you talked about. Yeah, but also like the sales agent on their software knows who you are. They have data about you if you've been in the store or not before. And they're like, they're they're creating this personalized relationship, but it's like cybernetic, right? Like it's like augmented by this software. And then in, in, in between all that, they're also pressing buttons to make sure just as the conversation is closing, they're like, is like, and here, ma'am, is your bag. <laughs> you know, like, I hope, to, I hope you come in next week. Now, I actually think this is very close to how galleries like in a way operate but not on such a short time window right like they're working on a sale over a long time window but they're building a lot around the relationship in CRM I think um, a lot of marketing is inclusive like anyone can come Mm -hmm. into an Apple store you don't have to be uh, a wizard you don't have to be a computer tech guy you don't have to be a fine artist like anybody can Mm -hmm. come in and make photos with an iPhone that's that's right Apple is like, it elevates you, but everybody's welcome. In art, it's actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody can buy this piece. Like, the, the, the MoMA wants it, and maybe you can get it, but you have to prove to me you're cool enough. And yeah. I think that's a very, I think a lot of art is based on, okay, I might explain to you what this work means, but mm-hmm. you can't tell anyone because it's our secret. 
But what I mean, like, what I'm saying is, like, if if you are going to purchase, I'm going to need to get to know you a lot better. <laughs> well, but it's different. It, and then it's once different I do because know you only, a lot better. And if if you're um, if you're selling something like an artist like Pierre Huyghe, who is a very well-respected mm-hmm. artist in, his, in sure. museum collections, then you have to make sure that only cool people get to it. So the, the interview is not to get to know them, um, to know what to offer. It's, do I trust this person enough to... Uh, it's almost like... Uh, Represent the brand. Well, it, it's almost they like almost buying stocks. Like no, it's like when you mm-hmm. do funding right now in Silicon Valley, I think there's so many people eager to invest that you only want the right people to invest. So you're mm-hmm. almost vetting people like because it's almost like allowing someone on the board of your company. Right, right. But I don't think it's that different from buying from Louis Vuitton, right? Like, they're not going to just let anyone into the store. They're not even going to talk to certain well, people. Well, there's a famous example a of time. Oprah going into a bag store in Switzerland and uh, being refused access. <laughs> right? It's horrible. Yeah. But it, it's what, like, they do this type of, like, you're, it, you can't have this. Um, yeah, but, but and I, they set the aspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it might be the same. But there's, there's um, um, I think a... My friend who works in fashion laughed about this when I said this, but the, the bitchiness is the currency. The, the, the bitchier the brand, the more you want mm-hmm. it. So the mm-hmm. more they make you feel small, the bigger the store is and the less there's in the store. And you've, you, every step you take into the store, you hear your steps reverberating and people yeah. are staring at you and rolling their eyes. Yeah. That's the feeling and you, you need want. To, your confidence needs to be, be able to fill that room. And the best way to do that is by opening your wallet. It, it well, reminds the, me of like, the, a, like some, a poker game with a minimum. Someone told me there was like a, a collector in, who bought something at the White Cube Gallery in London, and he and he says, I overheard him saying it. It's like, I just spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars at White Cube, and I'm still not allowed to go to the party. <laughs> <coughs> that's how. Um, Sorry. That's how all the art fairs make it's, me feel. Which is like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Like when you walk around, we were walking around in the West Village, and you hear this seven-year-old girl saying, "I don't want them on our plane. They're stinky." It's like mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. these things that the one percent or the point one percent says sometimes. It's like wow. I mean, it's the part of the art world that like most people hate, but I think it's interesting for us to discuss in 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 sort of relationship to marketing because ultimately I do think that there's a type of marketing happening there and it goes untalked about. We just refer to it as like, oh yeah, it's the art world. But it's actually, the discourse, it's, like, it's the community, it's the dialogue. It's uh, yeah. yeah, but it's how they sell the stuff is all I'm saying. You know, in, guess what? Right now it's not going very well. So that that's also where I find it very interesting, which is like the old sales model in art the um, you know the sales model and like the sales channel the, the you know when I talked about product channel fit is broken right now in the gallery world. I, um, I have my doubts about that. I, I, you think it's just temporary? No, I think there were, there were too many galleries. So, so in the '60s, everybody always talks about how great the art world was, mm-hmm. and it was six galleries that uh, decided everything. And now it's like going back to that, and people are losing their shit. Right. But when you ask okay, people so like. Oh, how was the gallery situation in the 60s compared to now without the art fairs and it was just like a few collectors and the, like and it was just Donald Judd and uh, whoever and people are like, "Oh yeah, that was great." Leo Castelli, well, that's maybe, our guy. But and then when yeah. it's when it's going back to that, people lose their shit. Okay, well, let's just compare it to mattresses though. Like, you know, certainly like 5 years ago, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been like, mm, you know what we need is more mattresses." Like new brands come along and they try to disrupt 
the existing market. Um, and even if there is an entrenched gallery, here's the thing, like the entrenched gallery should be easy to displace. And the way you would displace them is by using traditional marketing rules. And the, you know, the rule of marketing that we're taught, we've been talking about this whole episode is like, you would get very targeted, you get very direct in your message. And, and we're not, and I'm not saying that like that would work in the art world, but it's interesting to see that it hasn't. Um, and that no one's doing it. They're still trying to all play the same game. I, I'm just, I'm just really. Uh, I find it very hilarious when people from outside the art world come in. It's like we're going to apply <laughs> these things that work for of for course. soda pop, and we're going to apply. So right now, there's a bazillion uh, blockchain art startups, and it's like, oh, we're mm-hmm. going to disrupt. Look at this. We can totally disrupt this. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's a, it's it, a for, for I a while. Like, it was all uh, selling a TV with a subscription model, and now a lot of people are excited about blockchain. And, and we've art. done whole we've done whole episodes about how terrible an idea that is and why. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I, I still think that the the fact that people are trying, you know, like and and failing is interesting because they're not they're not uh, gathering. And it's definitely the great. Like everybody should try uh, for sure. Yeah. But here's no what, what what I haven't seen anyone present on or do, and maybe this is a call to action to our listeners, if you have any information about this, which is like, in those scenarios or in any new scenario, is anyone gathering the objections to the sale? Like, why are people not purchasing? Because very seldom do artists reflect upon that. So like, why didn't someone buy my work? Yeah, oh, they just don't understand it. Or it's like... No, because art is about being stubborn. Like, if, if um, Duchamp was like, Oh, why is my fountain uh, not selling? And he would change his work. That doesn't make any sense. It's, it, but he might change the way. I'm not saying change the work. In fact, a marketer would say you don't change the product. You just change the way you're selling it. Yeah. Well, th- there's a famous example of the, the song Rock Around the Clock, mm-hmm. the, the famous rock and roll song. And I think one of the uh, most successful singles of all time. Uh, yeah. They released it and it didn't work. And right. then there is a whole trend of movies about teenagers and juvenile delinquency and the movie Blackboard Jungle came out and it was on the opening credits and the whole movie was mm-hmm. about being a bad teenager mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. clicked and then it became the greatest song of all time. So, it, yeah, you don't always have to change the product. Well, I have another uh, famous example for you, which is like the Volkswagen Beetle, right? Like, so that car um, in the 1960s became the fastest, uh, greatest selling car of all time. But prior to that, um, was considered potentially the most impo- the, an impossible car to sell in America and because it the Second World War had just happened, and you're trying to sell me Hitler's car, and it's like got no luxury. It's all it's like super basic, and what they did is they positioned the car as the antidote to a problem with the previous generation. So they positioned the car, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, as this like lemon, this, they said like think small, which has actually ended up, you know, Apple's think different campaign actually came from this famous campaign where they're like think small and it's like a tiny little Volkswagen Beetle because all the cars were really big at that time. Yeah. And what happened, you know, what they did was they invented this idea of positioning, which is you know something we Being haven't talked rebel. about this episode, but... Well, no, but positioning and marketing is saying, like, I don't have to change the product. I just have to change the way in which I talk about it in relationship to my customer, yeah. right? Like, I just have to say, and my competition. It, so if everyone's going big, I'm going to go small. And right? what's interesting to me is that you have a very, um, you don't work in marketing exactly, but you work a lot with marketing. So you're very aware of the processes and the mental processes and that would make it sound like you can see behind the curtain and you would be immune to marketing. <laughs> right, but right. Do you f- no, but I'm not. You're not? Like, for example, 
the, the big choices that you make, like uh, buying a condo or renting it or uh, saving for your retirement, do you think those things are marketed to you or that, like, do they make any rational sense or have you been influenced? Well, those are big things. Actually, I'm trying to think of the last purchase or like the thing that I'm excited about buying. Um, I buy a lot of Apple products, I think. Um, not, and I think based on product market marketing that they do. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that uh, that's a good example with computers or your gear as a performer? Um, mm-hmm. You've tested the different options. It's not like you did, didn't even want to try the other option. No, that's true. Yeah, like I have a Windows PC at home. So I, well. I don't think in that case you're really sensitive to marketing. You really looked at the options and tried them, and uh, you talked to people. And but maybe that's the key point of marketing is when you're an expert, maybe you're less sensitive to marketing because you know the actual. But for someone who doesn't want to spend their whole time looking at reviews, uh, mm-hmm. it's like what's well, funny because I used to be a trend spotter. Like one of my first jobs was to write a trend report, and. Um, you know, what you're doing there is you're trying to figure out like, where are these people like you're talking about, maybe myself, yourself, who are um, evaluating the market and the options and then making recommendations to friends, where are they going and how are they behaving Mm. and how could we influence them? Have you ever heard the term key influencer before? Um, It's like in marketing, it's this idea that they're outside of marketing. There are a bunch of like, there are people in the world that have tremendous influence over others. This has become a big part of online marketing. Well, and, and, and specifically and in the art on Instagram world, and YouTube. would be curators, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in online on YouTube, it might be like um, Casey Newton or something. Like, is that his name? You know, the guy uh, from The Verge, kind of funny-looking guy. Yeah, uh, no, oh, Casey the, Neistat. Oh, no. Casey, Casey Neistat. That's right. Where like he gets sent hundreds of products every week, and every once in a while, he chooses to review one and put it on his podcast, or just talk about it, or include it in a conversation. Um, you're really like the battle for that is it's really interesting in relationship to advertising is like people have well, become much more Jeremy? aware. We- well, I just want to say people are much more aware of advertising and therefore it's less and less effective. No, 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 so no people. One of the ways around I want to know where you're vulnerable. Well, I think I'm vulnerable on that, on that vector. Like Someone which, I trust. Which like if do you, you, do you use? Um, but whatever one's cheapest. Really? <laughs> yeah. You you don't yeah, think about your health or that uh, or that it's good for the planet or something. But like they all that. have the same ingredients. They all have the same. Did ingredients. you do? Re- I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are some options that. Uh, that's good. You're talking about commodity based products. No, like, I'm talking about Jeremy. Com- I'm talking about Jeremy's daily rituals. <laughs> I want to get personal. If small small commodities. I just buy the buy cheap cheap commodities should be bought in my opinion, like cheaply, like milk. I don't need to worry about what brand it is. Like, you know, sugar, who cares? Right. It's, it's funny because like I thought you were an ideological person and that you would, you uh, only, only, only on big things. Oh, yeah. So you wouldn't like, pay, um, a little bit extra for fair trade sugar. Mm, I do do that on coffee. <laughs> it's funny, right? This is, so this is to me where it's interesting. It's like, why is fair trade? Does it work for coffee? Cause we, we know the guy, we can imagine the person... I see the gorillas and they're dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for some reason that doesn't apply to peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, I don't this, know. It's this an, is where it gets really point. interesting. Where you're, like With cameras, you're very aware and you think about it for a long time. But then when you're like, oh, I need, I need a airline ticket or I need a, these quicker things where the competitors are right next to each other. 
But I mean, that connects to what I was just saying a moment ago. I think if the sociology, that is to say the peer pressure was such that, oh my God, and the press was talking about peanut butter and like all, you know, if there was a narrative built around what choice you should make, then you would make a more explicit choice. But very rarely do you invent some principled reason for buying or not buying something. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Especially something you don't think about. And then this marketing thing of... um more the bigger life vision where you're like okay I'll buy the cheapest stuff so I can save money uh, but mm-hmm. then for what purpose what is being marketed to you what would make you a good citizen and what are you saving for mm-hmm. yeah well because like, end the, of the, the day at the end of the day the money you're gonna spend I think cho- you're right choices like this are very interesting like one uh, anecdote that came to my attention this week was that like using a plastic bag is actually potentially more um, uh, environmentally friendly than using a cloth bag, right? Like it's like, so, you know, and why is that? Like, if you do the energy calculations, the impact on the environment, if you reuse a plastic bag, it's by far the most environmentally friendly thing you can do because the energy necessary to make a cotton bag is incredibly high. Mm. Um, so just reusing any piece of plastic is is actually the, the most environmentally friendly thing you can do. But you would assume, like... Morally, in the way the narrative has been spun, that that's like a terrible advice, right? But if you look at the data, that's absolutely the thing you should do. Um, and so, but I, very rarely, as consumers, are we actually able to look at all of the data necessary to make a decision. The only data we have is that that the manufacturer or the company has made available to us. But right? what about and Jeremy? What? No, but this is where I want to okay. go, which is on the internet. The thing that changed was that a, another group of people was available, which was the people who had previously bought it. Now, of course, you might have had that in the past with friends or family, but now that friends and family network of people who could say it was a good experience or a bad experience multiplies like infinitely. Yeah. And so there are reviews. And then what has happened in the last few years, which I don't know, we haven't talked about yet, but is worth mentioning, is that fake reviews and bot-based reviews <laughs> have now almost almost fakes. completely overtaking. Yeah, so like Amazon now, if you're looking at a product, I dare, I challenge you to find a product with less than four and a half stars. It's very rare. And that's because everyone is employing like fake reviews. Uh, and so, the, you know, you know, there's this idea that we had inserted humans and Airbnb famously had to do this too, right? Like their product wasn't successful until they added human Humans reviews. bring the trust, yeah. Yeah, the trust and like, but the the trust is gone again. We're like, in a way, we're back at the <laughs> we're we're back at square one uh, on the but internet. And I I don't know where I'm going do with you, this. Except do you that feel I think like there's, um, there's new stuff? Coming. If you look at marketing on the bigger scale, there's a sort of a direction it pushes people into thinking what what makes me a successful human being. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I need more of that for yeah. most people that is to have children to give them a good education and so um, everything else is built around that But and, and I don't know if that's from marketing or basic human behavior or religion or but it sounds like the good point we've made all episode long like you've come we've hit on this like and we're not like if there's one masthead good point it's that like trust is at the center of of everything, mm. in, in regard, especially in regards yeah, to Yeah, but marketing. I'm asking about the direction. So it's the same question when you look at efficiency, when Silicon Valley is all about efficiency, but efficiency mm-hmm. towards what? Towards more leisure, towards more productivity. Oh, uh, and yeah, and yeah, so like, what, marketing yeah. towards what? Like you will spend a lot of time uh, on the internet uh, finding coupon codes, saving money towards what? Mm-hmm. What are you saving for? What is, what is the... 
is the money to keep you safe and have a roof over your head or is the money to one day not have to work or is the money and 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 then my question is this bigger goal is that a personal goal or is that something that you were taught the same way you were taught about Santa Claus and and believing that when it it was created by Coca-Cola but is your like is your question like your life goal what? is it marketed to you or is it something that right uh, Okay, am I used by the machine? Or yeah, that's or the am question. Am I using the machine or is the machine exactly. using me? Exactly, that's the question for mm-hmm. me. Is this rat race my choice? Yeah, or not? yeah, yeah. And so I'm, um, I'm, because if I have to... For example, yeah. with art, there's always this, um, this belief that you're contributing to some greater good. I think uh-huh. every artist somehow feels like there's a lot of suffering with art, like you give up a lot of comfort and security, but we're part of a thing that we're... Uh, investigating the human experience and sensory uh, exploration and that's a very that's a noble cause and we should all even if it means we lose a little sleep and we lose a little comfort we all have a goal and we have a higher purpose and that's art Mm -hmm. and there's even the Mm -hmm. the promise of the afterlife like maybe I'm not so successful but you know they'll discover me after I die so uh, um, it, it has this and that's what I mean maybe with marketing that there's a communal direction right 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 yeah i don't think you can separate society from marketing because we do there's this uh you know seth godin has this concept of tribes or whatever like we do move and there's this book that i really like called uh zag and marketing which is like it has this recommendation which is like if you're gonna be a good marketer find a parade that's already there and get in front of it right like so typically the best marketing is marketing that leverages behavior that's already occurring, right? If there's a bunch of influencers moving in a direction, make it seem like you came up with that direction. Um, and that, you know, that's just, that's just happening all, all around us. Uh, and so it's a little bit that contradicts your point, which is what, what I think is ha- what happens is a little bit of both, which is like a bunch of people like yourself and myself or others that, that try new things start to build momentum and they get a crowd of people moving in a direction. As that crowd grows, marketers pay attention. They take, they appropriate that movement. I used to, you know, because I used to do television advertising, I, you know, I, I can remember giving pitches like this and, and doing market research and saying like, this is graffiti is an emerging thing. We need to get 10 graffiti artists to do this campaign and we'll do this and that and we'll get behind this and there'll be momentum. And then after a certain point, those people drop out. They're like, no, this sucks. Marketing's happening. And at that point, it's it's now the marketer is like the steward of that cultural movement. <laughs> and the, the problem is at that point, it's just consumers, really. Like now it's culture. It's culture built on consumption instead of culture. Yeah, built it's on, almost like uh, uh, ma- mass farming where you deplete the soil and you're like, OK, this is dead. Yeah. Let's move to the next. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's very much how it operates cyclically anyway. Um, yeah. The marketers are like phase two or three. Right. Or something to me, like it's that. funny that uh, as an artist as an artist within your own ecosystem you you you're perfectly fine you're maneuvering and you but then when someone from outside the art sees like oh you're living like this oh you do that for that little money wow i would never do that and so you're you're in this collective um um, psychosis yeah yeah i can't disagree with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) wait wait you flew halfway around the world to help some young students uh, do what I will say I've been reflecting on this a lot recently because um, at my status in my business life, the choices I've made in my art life seem absolutely ridiculous to people. Yeah, like you might you might be negotiating at work and say like, "Hey, I want this X for that Y effort," 
And in the yeah. art world, the negotiation is so different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's embarrassing. I don't even want to bring up all of the differences in terms no, of No, I like, think people understand what we're saying. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people uh, who have a day job will be like, wait, I'm not going to work half an hour extra for no pay. You better pay me. And in the art world, it's like, do you mind staying three more weeks for nothing? Well, that said, like what I'm trying to do right now with my work is pay people fairly as an artist. Like as an artist, I'm paying people fairly, even as I'm not being paid. But like, but in a my, true Jeremy gesture. But in my my belief is if I demonstrate that, that like if that's what I believe should exist in the world, then I should I should act that yeah. way. But um, we've talked about that previously. I mean, if you want people to buy work, you should probably be buying work as well. I don't um, agree there. I don't agree there. Well, a, fr- a, friend of, a friend of mine <laughs> explained it this way. He said, in, in the art world, you have to bring something to the table. So yeah. we're all bringing something. And, and if true. you don't have money, you might bring poetry, you might bring music, and uh, fresh, ideas. fresh ideas or enthusiasm, or you might help people build installations for a low fee. We're all bringing something. And if you're rich... And you're not bringing any ideas to the table, then you got to bring some money. Yeah, that's true. So okay, yeah. is that a, is that a good say? You were going to give an ad, but you didn't. Oh you, yeah, you love a, you, there's a product you love so much. This this product <laughs> that I might tell you about in uh, two minutes. No, I, I've just been very happy using the self control app by Steve Lambert and other people. So. Uh, mm-hmm. we talked about this before about social media addiction or distraction on the computer and trying to use the computer to make things instead of uh, reading or mm-hmm. looking at videos mm-hmm. um, and I tried many things but the self-control app is the most uh, radical one it really shuts off and even if you restart your computer it, it shuts them off for a certain period of time I even I've installed it and I updated my system and it was still running. Uh, so it, it really, uh, it's, it's kind of a hardcore solution, but it's the only one that works for me. And so you set a list of websites, maybe 10, 20 websites, whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, if you block YouTube, it doesn't just block YouTube.com. It, it blocks any request of YouTube. So it embeds on other sites. It, it, there's really no cheating once you start it. Mm. And it really turns um. the computer into what the computer was for me around 1999 where it's like okay i have a bunch of software um what can i make with that yeah it yeah it takes a razor blade to the the explosion of i guess the function yeah and then you just set it to um okay after 5 p.m i can start browsing again well i can't do that but uh, i'm gonna try and continue practicing (laughs) self-control self-control app.com it's free and uh, (laughs) it's been very good Awesome. Okay, so we also have a, a great field recording here um, from Jordan Draper. He says, uh, "Hey, Jeremy, it sounds like you may be running short on field recordings for the podcast. It's that's a maybe that's a pun there. It sounds like running. <laughs> anyway, uh, I record things all the time, and I think I have some interesting ones that are welcome uh, to use here. That you're welcome to use here. Um, and the one we selected, actually, thank you, Jordan, for sending in several options, which is so cool." Um, he sent in one uh, of this place called Lion. Um, so, uh, or is that what it's called? Yeah, this is from one of the coolest cafes in Tokyo called Lion, where everyone faces a wall of speakers in silence, and the person running the cafe makes announcements about what classical pieces they will be playing. 
then grabs a record from a wall of thousands and puts it on. It's very surreal as the building, uh, the whole building has a wooden interior and it's original from 1926. Uh, even the old sunken seats. Hope these help. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Yeah, and we, we looked at it on Google. It looks like an amazing cafe. Just uh, sit oh, yeah, there and have yeah. tea and listen to music on the high quality Do a system. Google search for it or, yeah, do a Google we'll search or, or click the, on the show, in the show notes. notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, well, anyway, thanks so much, Jordan. Thank you. Um, and that's it for this week. I think we got a, we got a few other people sending us field recordings, but keep sending them in. We love uh, we love hearing from all around the world and your adventures. Um, yeah, yep. Just keep marketing. That's it. <laughs> yeah, keep push. Yeah, keep hustling. Okay. Uh, all right. Take care, everyone. Bye.